You know, I, I really wrestled with uh, telling you this first story this morning. I just didn't know if, if starting out it was the right thing to confess uh, first thing, but I thought, you know, let's go for it. So I love Lord of the Rings, okay? And I'm not, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, if you have not read it, I know some of you have seen it, but if you haven't read it, let's just respond with, we will. We will read it. <laughs> you know, I, I love this story. It's, it's a story of an epic journey, and it's, and it's taken by some unlikely characters, people who you would not set out uh, to entrust uh, fate to, and that's exactly what happens. And I think as human beings, we love Long, these, these kind of epic journey stories. Uh, we love these stories of quests and things like that because we are all on a journey. You will go through hardships and troubles. You will go through difficult times and you will also have, have great moments as well. And there's a moment at the beginning of the story when this quote comes from Lord of the Rings. It says, The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead, the road has gone, and I must follow if I can. And that's, we are all on a road of some kind. We're all on a journey, and our task is to follow. We're not just following the road as it is, but we have a guide. We have a, a master, as Aaron reminded us, a person that we are following. That is our number one task as disciples, is to, is to follow him. And so as we embark on this road, as we continue on our journey, let us never lose sight of, of who we are following. We're following Jesus. Well, if you're new with us today, I promise you this was abnormal, and it will not be this way next week. But we are so glad that you have been here with us. And if you're looking for a church home, I would invite you to check this church home out. And in fact, I want you to come back next week. And I know that's something that a lot of ministers say. You're already here, so, so just now make a plan to come back next week. But next week is uh, one of those Sundays that you don't want to miss, I promise you. It's our, what we call our Unity Sunday. And so we're going to be celebrating not only the unity with ha we have with each other, but also celebrating the diversity that exists within this church. That is, Jesus Christ calls this body together. He does so, um, not from all the same backgrounds or things, but we're going to celebrate all of us who he has called together. It's going to be a wonderful Sunday, and you don't want to miss it. It's a great Sunday to invite somebody to. Let me just, spoiler alert, there's no real sermon next week, so it's a great Sunday <laughs> to invite people to. They're going to love it, I promise. And so next Sunday is also going to serve another function. It's going to be our Blue Bucket Sunday, which is a special giving that we'll do that, that we use to serve our community with. And a lot of it's going to go for our Thanksgiving meal drive. So if you're new with us today, or if you want to bring somebody next week, they're going to get a glimpse of who we are and what is most important to us, celebrating who God has brought together here and also serving other people, giving to others. That's what we want to be about. Now, I, I wanted to give you a response to what we just did here a minute ago. And so that's what this sermon is, is a response, is I almost, I don't know the language to use, but it's my three commitments that I'm going to make to you or three promises. But before I do so, I want to give you a little bit of history. Crosspoint has been in this building for a little over 11 years. But it would be a mistake to think of Crosspoint as just an 11-year-old church, because we're not just an 11-year-old church. Some of you remember many years beyond that. 
This church can date its history past 100 years. You know, it was Crosspoint, and then it was Turnpike, and, and on and on it goes. And I think the mistake is when we start to think of us as either just a new church or just an old church, but rather we're both. Both can be true at the same time. Some of us are newer around here, and some of us are not, have been here for longer. What I want to remind you of in both of those cases is of a couple of things. We that are newer here are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us. In fact, I I would venture to guess that nobody comes into a church family, that almost nobody comes into faith without the, the help, the invitation of another person. There is somebody in your life that brought you. It might be a parent or a grandparent, a friend, a neighbor. Somebody brought you. You stand on their shoulders, and that's no different here at our church. We stand on the shoulders of others, and that goes for me as well. As today is chapter one and and a new part of my work here at Crosspoint, I don't come to it, um, it was not an empty pulpit, but this has a long history. And so um, I, thanks to the help of Ellen Brown and Emily Brinkley, I I got some history of Crosspoint because I have benefited by being part of this church family, as I know many of you have. We have a long legacy of good work here. And so since 1950, the people who have preached at this pulpit and ones like it, maybe you remember some of these names, Norman Gibson, Perry Cotham, Clinton Elliott, Dale Smith, Jay Channel, Jim Pyburn, Holland Boring, which I have to say is a fantastic name, (laughs) and I'm a little bit jealous, Joe Glenn, Brent Isbell, Larry Kern, and Tim Hall. That this, I don't come to this, we don't come to this moment as if it is completely new. But good work has been going on for a long time here at Crosspoint and through this church family. And my hope and my prayer, and I invite you to pray this with me, is that it would continue. Is that we are not starting from scratch. This is not brand new, but that we would, that we would continue in this legacy of work. Now, having said that, there's the other side of it as well. When I started work here a little over seven years ago, we had two children, now we have three, but two children ages three and one. For all intents and purposes, they don't remember another church family. And for that, in some cases, I'm thankful. I'm, I'm glad that this is the church that we are raising them in, that, that you who surround them and love them, on them and like you do us and encourage us, I'm so thankful for that. But God is going to be doing a new thing from this point forward. In fact, God is always doing a new thing. That, that the work of God, his mission to our community, it never is, is static. It's not just the same year after year. In fact, this church is different than it was just even 10 years ago. And that's going to continue to happen. And so we have the legacy of an old church. We honor that memory, but we're also a new church doing a new thing. And for that, I'm excited. So, so three things, three short things that I want to commit to you today, and, join, and I ask that you join uh, with me. The first is this, to keep the main thing the main thing. So growing up in high, in high school, at my home church in Oklahoma City, we had a yearly theme, and one year it was making the main thing the main thing, which was a lot of fun to say really fast, and that's all I really remember about that, <laughs> is, is that then we put an acronym on it, and we just said it as fast as we could all the time, MTMTTMT. And so um, and that's one of those things that I didn't have to practice that. It's just there, you know, after all those silly years in high school. And so we would just say that to each other, MTMT, TMT. I didn't know what it meant. I had no clue. I just knew it was kind of a funny joke. 
But what I want to say today is that this is not making, because I think we have been doing this for some time, but that we want to keep the main thing the main thing. Well, what's the main thing? Jesus Christ is the main thing. That's, that's all that we are about. Yeah, there's some other things, but they're not important. The main thing is Jesus Christ and keeping him front and center. He has supremacy of our lives. He has supremacy of our worship. We give him all the glory and the praise. And that has to be the most important. You've been part of a church before. I've been guilty of this myself, of, of elevating other things and acting like they're more important. And I think scripture reminds us that there is nothing else that is more important than Jesus. One of my favorite passages comes from Colossians chapter 1, and this is how it's written there. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Or to put it another way, Paul in Philippians chapter 2, because of what Jesus has done, his name is the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow on earth or under the earth. There is nothing that comes before him. He is, he is the best, as we heard from Aaron. He is the greatest. There is nothing else that is that rivals or equals his importance. And that is what we are going to be about. And the more that you get to know Jesus, the more that you love Jesus. He has a way of growing on you, even when you, from the immediate meeting, know how good he is. I love this quote, and I think it, it reflects well how, how you feel about Jesus in these moments. God is greater than my imagination, wiser than my wisdom, more dazzling than the universe, as present as the air I breathe and utterly beyond my control, that is, in short, what makes me a Christian. But there are these moments, especially when we, when we stop and we let the other things go and we just think about who he is in our life. There is nothing that is as important as him. To say it one other way, I love this example. It comes out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Paul here is writing about marriage, and he says this, To the rest I say this, I, not the Lord. And it's one of those moments in Scripture that if you're reading through, it kind of makes you stop and be like, wait a minute. I know, because I've read my Bible, that all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching and building up. And you're like, wait a minute. But right here, Paul writes, to the rest, I say this, I and not the Lord. And that's a little bit surprising that he would say this. He's giving his wisdom. Now, Paul is an apostle he has wisdom. He has the Holy Spirit. And so you might could say that this reflects the heart of God. But what he wants to say is, this is not of first importance. This is wisdom that you should take, but this isn't from God. This is from me. Well, when you flash forward eight chapters in 1 Corinthians, he says, I will tell you what is most important. He says, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. What's most important to Paul, what's most important to us is that Jesus Christ was crucified for you, but that he was raised on the third day and that he lives today. That is what is of first importance. There's other things that are important. There's other things that we will explore, we will talk about, but nothing, nothing is as important as Jesus. When I come to the end of my career in ministry, what I would love to be, they won't be, but what I would love to be, the only knock against me is someone to say, man, he talked about Jesus too much. And if that could be the one complaint, then things will be going okay. Because that's what it's all about. And the second is like it. The second commitment is to take discipleship seriously. Now, for seven years, I served as the spiritual formation minister here at Cross Point. Another way of saying discipleship, spiritual formation, talking about thinking about our transformation. And so that's not going to go away easily because this is important. In fact, I would say if you are to ask what is, you know, what is your duty? What is the reason that you are there? It's to call people to discipleship. You think about some of those jobs, the, the ones that you get that you didn't have to go to college for, but somebody brings you along and they say, you'll be my apprentice. And the goal of the apprentice is to take over for the master or for the teacher. And that's what we're doing here. So we are called to be apprentices of Jesus. That as we learn more about him, and what he's like, that we're, we're called to be like him. That's what it means to be his disciple, is to, to embody what he looks like. The, the hope of this church and, and all like it is that we can, this can be a place where people are introduced to Jesus. But then over time, we help them transform into the image of Jesus, that we embody who he is to our world. That's our hope. It's who we are becoming. Because this is true. Whether you believe it or not, you are being formed by someone or something. You are. Whether it's Jesus Christ or the nightly news, or your social media feed, or your best friend, somebody is helping form you. And our task, my hope, is to call you to discipleship in Jesus, that that's what it looks like. And to do that, we have to remain in him. Jesus says this in John chapter 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This is what Jesus calls us to, is to remain in him. And so sometimes we talk about spiritual disciplines. We, we talk about spiritual practices, things to do. The goal of those, the goal of reading your Bible every day is not to read your Bible every day. It's to remain in him. It's these practices put us in proximity to Jesus. He transforms us. His spirit is what transforms us. And so we are called to remain in him. And so we will take discipleship seriously here that we call you to be like Jesus. And this isn't to say that anyone is judging you, but we are calling you to the standard to which we want you to be. We're all on a journey that we're trying to look different day after day after day. And so as part of that, we have to practice what we preach. 
We come in here every week and we declare praises to our God. We're reminded of that. And then we have to go live it out. We practice what we preach. And my commitment to you is to practice what I preach. Is that this will be a priority in my life. Because my core conviction is that leaders cannot take people where they are not. And so this will be a part of my life just as it is that I will call for you in your life. And the third thing is this. My commitment is to be spirit-led. Now, a video was shared with me a few weeks ago, and I really wish I had, had the video just for you to watch, but it was a little long. I think it was at a Burger King. It might have been a Wendy's. But this was, video was taken in either the late 70s or early 80s. It was a news clip. And they were talking about how you could now use your credit card or debit card at Burger King. And they were interviewing people about it. what was your experience like. And people were just so um, confounded by it that you could do this. They had a couple of, of critiques about it. One, they said, I mean, who needs to use a credit card just for a $2 purchase? Like, why would you ever do that? And they didn't know that, like, the Rangers, New Ranger Stadium is cashless, right? Why would you ever do that? And the other person said, this is going to take so much longer. Do you remember what it was like getting chains from someone back there? Like, you know, you're doing the math, they're doing the math. It's, it's hard, right? And so, they could not imagine a world that you would only be using your credit card anywhere, much less maybe your cell phone to pay for things. As the Spirit leads us, we are going to do new things. One thing I love about when you look back on church history, since the dawn of the church, since, since Acts chapter 2, the church has existed in almost every country, on every continent, and it doesn't always look the same. And as we go forward in time, it, it doesn't look the same either, that the, the church and the ways we do church continue to evolve. It's because the story of God is applicable to everyone in every time in every place, and that is going to continue to be so. But the way that we do it might change. Just like I said earlier, this church looks different today than it did 10 years ago, and in 10 years from now, it won't look the same that it does today. We want to continue to be led by the Spirit, willing to do new things. One of my favorite biblical examples of this comes from Acts chapter 10 and 11. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius calls Peter to his house. And Cornelius is a Gentile, but he wants to know more about God. He wants to know about Jesus. Well, Peter, when he's there, falls into a trance. And in, it, in his vision, he sees what looks like a sheet coming down from heaven with all kinds of unclean animals on it. And three times he hears the voice of God saying, rise, kill, and eat, Peter. And all three times Peter says, I won't do it. I've eaten kosher my entire life, and I'm not going to stop now. And God says, do not call anything that I've made clean unclean. And the message is that Cornelius has a place in my family. All Gentiles have a place in my family. Well, in Acts chapter 11, word about this starts to spread. And so Peter has to meet with the, with the authorities in Jerusalem. And they want to know what's going on. We heard that you went to a Gentile's house and that you ate with him. And he explains to them what's been going on. And, and at the end of it, they say, when they heard this, Acts chapter 11, verse 18, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Now, I promise you, we have had longer meetings in this church family about things that are far less important. <laughs> but here, they hear the story. They hear what God has been doing through Peter, 
what the Spirit has been calling Cornelius to, and they say, so then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is good news. And even through us, church, God is going to call us to new things, to do different things. Because here is what we believe, that the Holy Spirit is still moving over the face of the waters, that God is still breathing life into piles of dust, and that Jesus is still shouting us out from our tombs. The Spirit, the Spirit is still at work, and our calling is to be Spirit-led wherever He leads us. About uh, 80 to 100 years ago, I'm not sure exactly on all the details, there was a sewing club that was part of a church in Chickasha, Oklahoma. And this sewing club made it their habit to reach out to other people, to invite them to sew, but also to invite them to church. And they invited this woman that a couple of them knew, and she started coming to church. She started going without um, her husband at first, and she came to faith in Christ. And then eventually she brought her husband along, who he too was baptized. A few years later, this man uh, became a preacher. He preached at four different churches, sowing seeds of the gospel all around because a sewing club decided to invite his wife to church. That's where my story starts. I wouldn't be standing before you today if that sewing club did not invite my great-grandmother to church. If my great-grandmother wasn't invited to church, my great-grandfather doesn't go into preaching. Now, I don't know the amount of seeds, the kingdom work that he did, the amount of people who were impacted by that. But I know that I'm not here today without that. My younger brother serves as a missionary in Germany. He's not there without that. Our, our family tree was changed because a sewing club said, let's invite them to church. If we continue to, make, to keep Jesus of first importance in our life, and we take our discipleship seriously, saying that I want to embody what it looks like to love others as Jesus did. We want to become people of love. You don't know the amount of lives that we will change, that you will change by letting that be your story. I'm standing here today as a legacy of, of someone else in a sewing club said, let's invite them to church. Today, our shepherds and their wives, as we close, are going to be around the room. And maybe today you, you don't know Jesus. You have not decided to apprentice your life under his, and you said, you know, now is the time. I'm, I, I want to live in a different story. Our shepherds can pray with you and talk to you about what that will look like. Maybe today you have not been taking your discipleship seriously, and, and you are ready to get back on the path and to say, you know what, I have been being formed by something or someone else and I don't want to live that life anymore. We'll pray with you. Whatever it is we can do to help you, once you see one of them while we stand and sing.